Dear friends, I ask you to please turn your very prayerful attention to that passage that I read to you in the second reading, there in the book of the Revelation, chapter 1. And uh, taking from my text this evening, verses 17 to 18. Do you believe that the Lord has laid upon my spirit an important word, message for us in these days when there is much difficulty in the world, when there is great turmoil, when there is death and misery and decay all around us? And we wonder when the Lord is coming. He has promised to come again to judge the living and the dead. When we see so much evil prevailing, when we see so much of an apostate church, false teachers, false religions, when we see the lies of the devil, when we see the hatred of men's religions, and we wonder, what does the Lord make of all of this? What are we to make of all of this, well, I want to bring a word of encouragement, a word of exhortation, a word also for the lost this evening, particularly. There may be many. We see many people in this world today that are so hell-bent on their religion, and they are prepared to die for it, and to put others to death for it. We want to come to the Word of God. We want to find truth, solace, for our souls, and we want to be ready for that great coming of the Lord. Revelation 1, 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. It's these words. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. In fact, we could just repeat these words over and over and over, and I could send you all home tonight. And I suppose that would suffice in one way, wouldn't it? We've heard the word of God, and I could repeat this verse at varying paces, emphasizing various parts of the word, just reading over the scripture, and these verses could settle many matters for us in the year 2023 when we see wars and rumors of wars when we see trouble on every front when we see as the lord said in matthew 24 that iniquity shall abound and there should be rumors of wars pestilences floods all manner of things and the church getting worse and worse. And the love of the many in the professing church waxing cold. Is our religion true? Maybe you're here tonight. You're not a Christian. You see a world of chaos and confusion. 
And you wonder, is there a God in heaven? There is a God in heaven. Who is Jesus Christ? That is the essential question tonight. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we notice here in verse 17, John says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. The vision that John is given here on the island of Patmos while he's in exile somewhere around 95 to 98 AD is a tremendous vision. It is the vision of the glorified, risen Lord Jesus Christ, hair as white as wool, his face gleaming, his eyes as a flame of fire. This tremendous, awesome figure is the glorified Lord Jesus. And I want to begin by saying that he is no ordinary man. But the Lord Jesus in this verse, certainly in these verses, is claiming to be none less than Almighty God. And if salvation is of God, and it is of God, and only God can save, and only Jesus Christ can save. We were preaching a message to our friends there in the care home in John chapter 14, verse 6, where the Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. But that same Lord Jesus Indeed. said, I am in the Father as the Father is in me. All the false religions of this world, my friend, my unbelieving friend, deny the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the one essential thing. If God is to save, only God can save, and only God can save by himself. And this is why we must be absolutely clear on the doctrine of the divinity of Jesus Christ. He that believeth that Jesus is the Christ, 1 John 5, 1, is born of God. To truly believe and to continue to believe that is somebody that is born of the Spirit of God. I say that on the authority of 1 John 5, 1. We live in a day of great evil where men compare the religion of Christianity with that of other religions. And there is frankly no comparison to be ever made with Christianity. Those are the religions of men. I want to begin first of all, as we look at the first part, the first section here in verse 17, where he says, I am the first and the last. I want to firstly consider the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is claiming to be God. I read to you there from Isaiah 44 in the verse 6. You may wish to turn there. And this is and should be ample proof text. If you have either somebody who you know belongs to another religion, or perhaps you're somebody here tonight who's not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're unsure about things, I hope to make very plain to you here, from what the Lord Jesus says here, he is claiming to be God. We say this by authority of God's word, not just here, but notice this title, Almighty God gives 700 years before Christ came into the world. 
The Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. And we come now to these same words that are found in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 17, where the Lord Jesus takes this well-known title, which the Jews knew very well. He says, I am the first and the last. The Lord Jesus Christ was claiming right here to be God, none less than God. The Muslims, from Shura 57 verse 3 of the Quran, they refer to Allah as the first and the last. Jesus Christ claims to be the first and the last. He is the first and the last. He is very God, almighty God. What is the difficulty? We might ask between the Jew and the Muslim and the Christian. It's a good question to ask. The Jews and the Muslims argue, was it Isaac that was sacrificed or was it Ishmael? As we look at those two men, really none of them were sacrificed. It was Isaac that was offered up. But none of those two men died on Mount Moriah. But Jesus Christ was offered up on that holy mount. So neither Jew nor Muslim are right on this matter. But God sent his son into this world. And this is where even other religions, not just the Muslims, where the Lord Jesus Christ claims to be the son of God, they deny that. But there are so many plain passages of Holy Scripture where the Lord Jesus Christ undeniably claimed to be God the Son. For instance, John 3, 16, we're told, the Lord Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. And then he said, if we didn't get it then, he added this, for God sent not his son. God had a son, eternally proceeding from the Father, and the Spirit eternally proceeding from Father and Son, so that God the Father is in him, and he in the Father, and they are one. God is Spirit. And he said to Nicodemus, even there, even the Son of God and the Son of Man, which is on earth and is in heaven. He is omnipresent. The Lord Jesus Christ, unmistakably, not just there, but in John 5, 18, did he not say, what did he say? He said that he was equal with the Father, 
And this is why we read there in John 5.18, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And friends, we should never be ashamed and never be afraid to make these claims that the Lord Jesus Christ made of himself. Men will perish without this knowledge. We cannot hide this truth in the day of persecution. We cannot deny that Jesus is the Christ, the sent of the Father, the eternal Son of God, the one who is very God. To deny him his deity is to deny his glory. And to deny his deity is to rob him of all the truth that the Bible says about him. And my friends, this cuts across all the nonsense today. That Jesus Christ is the first and the last. Is God. This is why the Jews wanted to kill him. It was that time, do we not know? Remember there in John 8, where he's with the Jews. And he said to them in John 8.51, Verily I say unto you, if any man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and thou sayest of a man, Keep my saying, he shall never taste death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who makest thou thyself? You're making yourself like who? Like God? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me. Of whom ye say that he is your God, yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you, but I know him and keep his saying. And then he added this, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, hast not seen Abraham. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you before Abraham was, I am. And my unbelieving friend, do you not know when you ought to know, you should know, when he said, I am, he was claiming not only self-existence, but pre-existence to all his being in the flesh. Before Abraham was, I am. When Moses was tending the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law in Midian, he was beside the rock, and he saw a burning bush. And he went up to that burning bush, and he was just taken up with this burning bush. It wasn't consumed. And he walked up to it, and there was a voice that came, Take off thy shoes, for the ground where thou treadest is holy ground. And then the Lord spoke to him. The Lord said, of course, Moses there is killed an Egyptian man. He's 
called by God to lead the people out of Egypt. Moses by now is 80 years old. How is he going to lead the people out? And the Lord says, this is how you do it. He says, go and say, I am has sent you. The I am. Exodus 3.14, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, thus thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God, moreover, unto Moses, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers. The Lord Jesus is the Lord God of the fathers. Noah, of Adam. He is God. When he came into this world, he was manifest in the flesh. Says there in John chapter 1, verse 10, though he made the world, the world knew him not. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Now, our attention now as we come, having established here that the Lord Jesus is God. No less God than the Father. God is one and yet in three divine persons. When God said, let us make man image, we read, and God made man in his own image. Plural, in terms of the divine persons of the Godhead, and yet singular in the making of man. And then we know that time at the Tower of Babel, where God said, let us go down and confuse them, confuse their tongue, and there was a dispersion in the world. Now, our attention now is drawn to these other parts here in verse 18 and following this evening. And we want to think this evening, as we open up, having established that Jesus Christ is very God, what are the implications of that, my friend? What are the implications if God came into the world was born of a woman, lived under the law, and there is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby men must be saved. Other religions will not do. But God had to do this in order to save his people. I want to think this evening upon these other phrases here. He says, I am the first and the last. We've seen with reference there to Isaiah 46, these words only God can claim, that he is the first and the last. Now we follow in verse 18. Our attention will be taken up now with these words. Here John is hearing the Lord Jesus Christ speak. He has had that touch upon his shoulder. He falls as a dead man, but the Lord comforts him. And speaks to him now and addresses the churches and the people in the churches. And there are things that God wants us to know, friends. But the Son of God is not dead. First of all, I am he that liveth. All those other prophets are dead. All the so-called prophets that have been in this world, whether good or bad, dead. Their bodies lie in the grave. But there is one 
whose body does not lie in the grave. The Lord Jesus, I am he that liveth. Now there is one thing that is true. We must remember that man is both body and soul. When our Lord Jesus Christ died, as it were, it was his body that died. His spirit could never die. First of all, God has given us never dying souls. We read, do we not, in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 7, when the body dies, it goes to the grave, and the spirit goes to be with God who gave it. Either to be with God or to be separated with God. We read in Peter, do we not, of those spirits that are reserved in a place of perdition right now, reserved for that great day of judgment. For the Lord Jesus, he had no sin. And the moment his spirit parted his body, went immediately to be with the Father. That day into paradise, awaiting the resurrection of his body. Here, the Lord wants sinners to know that the Lord Jesus Christ lives. This is why, my friends, we, we abhor the idea of a Savior upon a cross, a crucifix, and an image upon a cross that is a blasphemy. Not only is it a blasphemy to make an image of God or anything above or below and to worship it, but the idea of a, of a Savior that is dead upon a cross is blasphemy. He lives. He ever lives. There he was. On that same day of his resurrection, he came and he appeared to the disciples, did he not? Even Thomas wasn't there at that occasion, but on the second occasion, the week later, he said, come, touch, feel my hands, my feet. And he said, my Lord and my God. He did not refuse worship, but he accepted that worship, for he is God and he is living, he is not upon a cross, neither is he in a tomb. But after his time here, 40 days upon the earth with his disciples, preparing for his departure, we read how he ascended up in the book of Acts chapter 1 into glory, into heaven. They saw him go up and up and up and up and up and up. And the angels, the two of them that stood by, said, This same Jesus shall appear in like glory. Ye men, why ye gaze up? This same Jesus shall come in like manner. And every eye, as we read here, shall see him. There will be wars, as we see right now, and rumors of wars. These things have been for millennia. We, we do not prophesy, we do not Say, we know the day, the time, the hour. The Lord Jesus said, these things are locked up with God. And we do not speculate them. Men are making fools of themselves. And ruining even ministries. Because they're postulating and pontificating over things of which they know nothing about. And bringing a disgrace upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But my friends, let me tell you this. When he comes, the scriptures say, every eye will see him. 
even them that pierced him. Why? Because there will be a general resurrection when men will come out of the graves and they shall behold him. That's how wondrous and how glorious his second coming will be. Pilate, Herod, everyone, Judas will be there. Every man that has ever lived will see the Lord Jesus. Even the beloved John, we will stand with him. And we will stand with all the apostles in holy wonder and amazement. It'll be an awful day. Because he's alive. He was dead. In John Owen's book, The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. My death was swallowed up in his death. I shall not see a second death. He died that I should not face a second death. The Lord Jesus, having died, what did he die for? He died for the sins of his people. He had to die. That was the whole reason. That's the whole construct of the Bible, my friends. You read from Genesis through to Revelation, it speaks of blood all over because of man's sin. It's the only book of blood. It's called the blood-sprinkled book. When Moses took the book, it's called the book of the covenant. He sprinkled it with the blood. And my friends, the scriptures say, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. That's why these religions of this world, they're a nonsense. They're foolishness. They're able to do nothing. Look at Cain and Abel. They are Cain, offering up man's works. Not Abel. Abel believed in the Savior to come. So of all the saints in the Old Testament, Abraham saw my day, said the Lord Jesus, and was glad. He rejoiced to see it. He didn't just see it, but he rejoiced. He had a hope. And even Abraham, what did he look to? Not just to see the Lord Jesus, but his hope was an ever-abiding place. A new Jerusalem, which is above. Which is the mother of all of God's people, which is the birthplace. You see, when God make somebody born again. They are born, as John 3, 3 says, born from above. It's the Spirit of God that comes and touches a man's soul and makes him to believe in this truth, that Jesus Christ is God, and only God can save. Because only God has power to redeem. God has power to redeem by the one who says, I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. He is mighty to save because he lived. He lived like nobody else ever could. And died like nobody ever could. No man could bear his own sins on the cross for three hours. Let alone a multitude of people which no man can number. No man. But Jesus Christ did. 
My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And you see, that is the only way God could save, could redeem a people by the death of his son. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. You see, he is from forever past, and that's why he is forevermore. One of the titles given to the Lord Jesus Christ, we have it in the Old Testament, is the Ancient of Days. He had no beginning, and he has no end. And I am alive forevermore. Amen. And here it is. And have the keys of hell and of death. First of all, let me say, friends, he has the keys of life as well. He giveth life. Isn't he? We're told that he has the keys of David. The household of David. David was the, to be the king over Israel. And we've considered this in previous studies. What great, precious, and exceedingly precious promises, even the sure mercies of David, David was given. But David was a sinner. How could David occupy a throne? How could he rule? How could he govern being a sinner? We see David's life full of sin falling. But God made to David... An everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and sure, even the sure mercies of David. And the Lord Jesus promises that in Isaiah 55. Ho, everyone that thirsts, let him come to the waters of life. Come by without money and without price. It is at the expense of God the Son, my friends. It is at the expense of God the Father, the Son, that he procured eternal salvation for his people. And it is without money. It is without price. We cannot add to it. The soul that says, God, you have to accept my good works. God says, no, I can't. I have to refuse it. Because even your righteousnesses are as filthy rags. But only my son's righteousness that and that alone. Only through this greater son, even as we sang of David, could God make this everlasting covenant. Because he lived perfectly. And he died in the room in the place of his people. And God had made a covenant with him from all eternity past, my friends. To give him a people. But he would have to purchase them. He would have to live for them and then die for them and pay for all of their debt. And only God could do that. Only God could do that. And he did. And that's why he cried. It's finished. And he breathed his last. Into thy hands I commend my spirit, Father. 
And the father then said to him, My son, now sit down at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Oh, why do the heathen rage? Why does this world plot in vain? They plotted to kill him, but it was to the glory of God. It was to the saving of his people. We thought about it this morning, didn't we? That men meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You see, God allowed and even permitted wicked men to put his son to death upon that cruel cross. It was wicked men that put him there. But the son agreed from all eternity that in those few hours when God turned midday into midnight, that he would be the sin-bearer of his people, and that he would suffer in their place and take their punishment. And this is why he has the keys to heaven. And when he opens, my friend, and he shuts, no man can open. We read here, I'm he that liveth and was dead, and behold, am alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Secondly, he has the keys, let me say, first of all, of death. You see men dying in this world. Yet God even determines the day, the hour of their death. It's not men that determine their days. It's not even wars. God is even working all these things and has permitted. He has determined the bounds of their habitation. And such were we. We would be lost if we were consigned to some far part of the globe without a knowledge of Christ. We'd have no hope. You see, he has the keys of death. And he determines when and how a man shall die, even by the hand of this one or that one, whether it is some illness. We don't blame illness. Why did illness come in the world? Because of sin. You know, people jump up and down about illness and sin and sickness. And they say, well, if God is so good, why doesn't he do something about the sickness? Why doesn't he do something about the cancer? Where do these things come from? They come from man's sin. That's why we die. It's all the wages. And we are told in Job, days should speak. And a multitude of years should teach wisdom. Every day you live, it should be speaking to you. Sinner, sinner, you're dying. Look at your face, look at your wrinkles, look at your relatives. Go again to the cemetery, see your relatives, you'll be there soon, you're dying. You'll join the great line of people that have died. Not because of cancer. Not because of some other illness, but because of sin. People speak about the fact that they're going to beat this disease. They're going to beat this cancer. They're going to beat this. They're going to 
conquer this. The real problem they never consider is conquering sin. We cannot conquer sin. Sin is the problem. But Christ was made a curse. He who knew no sin became sin for his people, that he might become the righteousness of God. We might become the righteousness of God in him. My friends, that's the blessed reality. Even if a man could come up with a cure for cancer and all these diseases, it wouldn't solve this problem, would it? He still leaves this world. He still is a sinner. And days should speak. And a multitude of years should teach wisdom, but it doesn't. It's because the human heart is foolish. Because it denies reality. And it denies God. Every day, the fool is said, in his heart there is no God. I don't want to believe there's a God. I don't want to believe I have to account for my life. I'll pick one of these other religions so that if I just do enough, if I just sort of be a good Buddhist or I be a good Hindu or something like that, then God will accept me. He cannot. You heard last week, the scripture hath concluded all men under sin. All men, without exception. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus Christ has the keys to death and hell and heaven. And the one who believes in him, the one who repents, he opens. If you're given faith to believe, you must believe that he opens heaven. If you're given repentance and a grieving heart and you're made to see yourself for what you really are, that is the grace of God. That's the power of God. So long in my life, I lived in dark nature's night where I would not see. No man could tell me. I didn't want to hear it. But I had to hear it in time. And God made me to hear it. God brought me to my knees and to repent and believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that he is the one that lived and that was dead, and that he's alive forevermore. Not only does he have the keys of death, and that he could appoint and he does appoint my time of death, and thank God he does. Thank the Lord. My time of death is appointed by him. I wish it no Sooner, no later, than that a right appointed time. Because I know it'll be a blessed moment when he calls me to himself. Wouldn't wish it any earlier or any later. And he calls his sheep home. But I must warn you that he has the keys of hell. And we're told that he openeth and he shutteth, and no man opens. It's a solemn thing. A solemn, solemn thing, my friend. There's no opening. 
When he shuts, it's forever shut. He is God. There is none beside him. God who cannot lie. God who has always existed and who will be forevermore long after this earth has passed and wicked men are gone. Who is he? He's the Lord of glory. I tell you this, you can prove to the most brainwashed Jehovah's Witness that Jesus Christ is God from their own Bibles. If you take them to Psalm 102, it says there in the verse 25, Of all thou hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture thou shalt change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same. Of course, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we read, and thy years have no end. And then you can take them then to Hebrews chapter 1. In the verse that follow, Paul, the apostle, is presenting the Lord Jesus. Verse 8, but to the Son he saith, thy throne, O God, thy Son, O God, is forever. The scepter of righteousness is thy scepter of thy kingdom, and so on. He says, as we read on, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity, therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, O Lord, in the beginning laidst the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands, and they shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall all wax old, as doth a garment. He quotes there from Psalm 102. And he says, and as a vesture thou shalt fold them up, and they shall be changed. And then he says, but thou art the same, and thy years they shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit at the right hand. The same one who will roll up the heavens is the one who is sitting at the right hand of the Father. And my friends, if Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father, should that not give us every confidence as we, every day, face a world that is in turmoil? A time when so many are in confusion. And we see the things of Scripture unfolding. God changes not. And he is coming to end this world soon. But unless we're found in him, we must be assured he has the keys to death and to hell. But I close with this on a good note, my friend. He has the keys to heaven. He's earned them. He is the only one that is good enough to open it. Nobody else could enter heaven but Christ. How did he enter? He entered in. You think of it. 
He's only entered once. He was always in heaven. But he's entered in as a man. That's a precious thought, isn't it? As a man. With not the blood of angels, but with his own blood as a man. That he might be the mediator of the everlasting covenant which God had promised before the world began. And therein is your hope. You hope in anybody else but God. And he is God. You have no hope. Amen.